It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us to get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Now, Roger, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak faces perhaps one of the most daunting budgets that any Chancellor has faced for years, given that the UK has been in this worst slump in 300 years. The UK, though, is said to be planning a big rise in corporation tax in order uh, to make up uh, for some of the losses. Having said that, the UK would also be able to remain competitive with other G7 nations. Right now, Britain's corporation tax is set at 19%. That is the lowest level in the G7. And a government official tells Bloomberg that Britain wants to stay competitive and points to proposals from the US Treasury Janet Yellen to lift their rate to 28% from 21%. And all that would give the Chancellor room for a 6% point rise in next week's budget while still maintaining that lowest level of G7 tax. But the Resolution Foundation is calling on Sunak to boost the economy instead of balancing the books. The think tank wants him to provide £70 billion of targeted stimulus as well as extend existing support programmes. Well, let's mull over all this with Tom Clockerty, who's Head of Tax at the Centre for Policy Studies and joins us now. Tom, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us. How wise would it be for Rishi Sunak to go for a rise in corporation tax at this stage? Well, I think it would be rather unwise, actually. Uh, and I think there are a few problems with a corporation tax increase. Um, there's some hard practical problems about the impact on the economy and the impact on wages, And I think there's also quite a troubling thing about the signal it sends um, about the kind of Britain we're going to have and its attitudes towards business and economic growth over the next few years. Um, Now, I think we know the evidence is quite clear that of the main sources of tax revenue, corporation tax tends to have the biggest negative impact on GDP per capita, um, basically how rich the country is. And there's more to that than the headline rate. So I don't want to oversimplify. There are, there are other things like investment allowances, which are very important. But simply raising the, the headline rate of corporation tax will tend to be bad for economic growth. The impact on wages, I think, is a very interesting one, because one of the things that the, the Chancellor and people around him have supposedly been saying in the lead up to this budget um, is, well, we can tax business, we can't tax people. Um, but of course, some person ends up paying any kind of tax rise, um, you know, whatever, whatever tax increase you're talking about. And I think the best evidence on corporation tax is that for every pound of extra revenue you raise with a tax increase, about half of that is passed on to employees uh, in terms of lower wages or wages lower 
than they otherwise would have been. So it's not a simple win. It might look like one politically to just say we're taxing big businesses. Uh, It tends to be people who suffer. Yeah. um, Having said that, the legacy of austerity looms large. Um, And also, we have been on this trajectory over the last decade under a Conservative government of cutting corporation tax down. I mean, it started at 28%, cut to 19%. And the justification for that was that it would boost investment in the UK to cut corporation tax. And a lot of economists say that that is not what has actually happened. So the flip side argument is surely raising corporation tax, you know, on the other side of that decade will equally not do that much damage to investment. Yeah, well, in a way, this is why I said there's more to it than headline rates, because those economists who say our corporation tax uh, cuts haven't significantly boosted business investment, you know, frankly, they're right. Uh, But I think there's a good reason for that. And, um, you know, George Osborne as Chancellor, there was a lot of giving with one hand and taking away with the other. So precisely as the headline rate of corporation tax was coming down, Uh, Britain was tightening up far more on the investment allowances that it allowed businesses. So effectively, um, how quickly and easily you can write off capital investment against your tax bill. Uh, It went from being sort of average but still fairly ungenerous to being one of the least generous systems of investment allowances, I think, in the OECD. Um, And that's why when you look at a sort of more holistic picture of Britain's corporation tax, yes, if you just focus on the headline rate, Even if they raise it, we're going to have one of the lowest of any large economy. But if you also factor in the way we treat capital investment, the way actually we treat losses and so on as well, um, if you're a business looking to invest, the UK's corporation tax system, even with a fairly low headline rate, is not all that competitive. Uh, And I think that's something the Treasury needs to think about very carefully as they, they, they consider this move. Well, Tom, we're looking at it from one end, which is the people having to pay the taxes. But what about at the other end? Would it actually do much good for the Chancellor in terms of uh, filling those empty coffers of of redressing the enormous hole in public finances? You know, I'm not sure that it would. Uh, They're talking about a few billion a year. And of course, a few billion a year, that's a lot of money. It's helpful, but it's kind of a drop in the ocean uh, in terms of, of the overall budget. But the Chancellor and the government are in a bit of a tight spot here because they ruled out in their election manifesto raising VAT or income tax or national insurance. And frankly, if you want to raise a large amount of revenue, those are the only real ways you can do it sustainably. You can get a few billion here and there from other taxes, um, but those are the big sources and they've been ruled out. So I can understand why, um, if the Treasury is adopting the mindset that we need to deal with this debt right now, um, they would be looking at taxes on business and investment even though I think such taxes would be counterproductive. But I think the big question is, why are they thinking about debt reduction as a priority right now? This doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Uh, With the economy in such a fragile state, frankly, with the pandemic still ongoing, although there is a pathway out now. Um, And, you know, more to the point, with the dynamics in government debt markets, you know, the government can borrow almost an unlimited amount at an incredibly low interest rate over extraordinarily long maturities. Uh, And that might not last forever, sure. So, you know, you have to have an eye on the future. Um, But I think when you have this very difficult economic situation, really Britain at a crossroads, like many other countries, as the pandemic hopefully comes to an end, um, why you would pick debt reduction as your focus and why you would then say, let's tax business, let's tax investment as a way of pursuing that objective, I'm not sure. You know, I think Mm. that the Chancellor, to his credit, he's a, he's a sincere fiscal conservative. Um, you know, there's nothing more to this than that. Uh, and the Treasury, for their part, institutionally, 
they don't really believe they can do much to boost economic growth. I think they're quite defeatist. Um, in, in a way, it's an accountant's mindset rather than an economist's mindset. Uh, they think they get the economy they're given, and they just have to raise as much money out of it as possible. To me, this is all backwards, but unfortunately, that seems to be the way we're heading. <laughs> I like that analogy, that view of the Treasury. Okay. Um so politically, to my mind, this is why that promise, that Conservative Party promise, you know, sacred duty aside, surely that cannot last in the face of this pandemic. You know, the pledge not to raise the big taxes in Britain. OK, maybe not at this budget, but in the next 18 months or two years before we go to the next general election, the Conservatives are not going to be able to hold to that, are they? Well, we'll see. I mean, one of the interesting things that, that we're hearing is that the Treasury has done lots of research and I think they've got charts up on the wall and stuff showing that almost every government comes in and raises taxes after an election when they've got a majority. So get the pain out of the way early on. And then this supposedly gives them room to cut taxes in the run-up to the, to the next election. Um, so there's, there's a clear political cycle there. You can understand why, why that would be the way they would go. Uh, and actually, I do think that that's what they're thinking. Um, if they can raise certain taxes now, and particularly if they focus on the taxes which economists might not like seeing raised, but the public is is fairly sanguine about, like corporation tax, like capital gains tax, uh, then maybe this allows them um, to deliver on some of the personal tax cuts um, that they, they were committed to, like raising the threshold for national insurance contributions, for example. So, so that's what they're thinking. Uh, now, whether, whether you can really maintain that, I mean, I think in the medium term, right, over the course of this parliament, I don't see any real need for big tax increases in, in those main categories, income and, and, and VAT and so on. Um, I don't think it's going to be necessary. If you look much further ahead and you think about the impact of an aging population on the welfare state, you know, there's a good argument that we're going to need higher taxes eventually. And so can, can that commitment last forever? I'm not sure. But I would also say that actually what makes everything so much easier is getting the economy growing. The faster and more sustainably, the better. And that's where I think the focus should be. If we get the economy growing, and we're not going to do it by raising taxes on business and investment, by the way, if we get the economy growing, then I don't think any kind of nasty tax increases, which will be, un- be unpopular, or, will be necessary really at any point. Or, all right. Well, well, Tom, let me pick up on, on something I know that you've put out at the moment, which is a framework for the future reforming the UK tax system. You've kind of taken apart the old system uh, by talking mm. to us now. <laughs> what briefly would you put in its place? Yeah, well, so I think that the main thing is to focus on getting rid of the taxes that really inhibit growth and cause economic distortions. And so I think the Chancellor has a chance to um, to start looking at those right away. So I think that how we treat business investment, both through business rates and corporation tax, is problematic at the moment. There's a reason why uh, historically Britain has very low rates of business investment um, compared with its competitors. Partly it's because we tax business property so heavily. Partly it's because we have very ungenerous investment allowances. And I think we can look um, at, at other countries that do those things better, uh, which let um, corporations write off their investment immediately against corporation tax, uh, which don't tax sort of business mm. buildings and plant and machinery in the same way we do. Mm. Uh, so that would be one thing. Stamp duty, I think, is another enormous distortion that wreaks havoc on the housing market and then causes further problems in, in, in the wider economy. Um, if, if we can move towards uh, sidelining that tax as much as possible, eventually eliminating it, that would be great. Mm. But the big picture of pro-growth tax reform is about trying to lighten the burden on investment 
uh, and try and get as much of your revenue as possible from sources uh, which economists say don't impact growth that much. And that's broadly speaking consumption taxes, Um, so VAT and and, and similar. Um, So we need to sort of shift in the burden. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we begin with schools, Caroline. Yeah, exactly. GCSEs and A-level results in England will be decided by teachers this year instead of the government's algorithm that got into so much trouble last summer. Uh, Now, teachers will take into account mock exams, coursework, essays and in-class tests. But there are concerns that allowing teachers to award results will actually lead to grade inflation. That was the worry last year too. Schools Minister Nick Gibbs says that they've been put in a place with protective measures. We have these quality assurance processes to make sure that there is a process at the school level to ensure that the grades are a fair reflection of the attainment of the students. And then there's that other quality assurance by the exam boards. There's also very detailed guidance. Well, I've got one teenager who's watching all that fairly carefully in terms of what we'll do in the way of A-levels. Meanwhile, universal credit back in focus. The Chancellor is expected to announce a six-month extension to the £20 a week boost to universal credit in next week's budget. That's according to the Daily Telegraph. They quoted a government source saying it made sense for the temporary increase to continue while the economy reopened. But in the longer term, Rishi Sunak's focus is going to be on getting Britons back into employment and helping them stay in work rather than in welfare. Well, elsewhere, the Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, is accusing Alex Salmond of creating an alternative reality and of wild conspiracy. It's all over claims that prosecutors sought to block the Scottish Parliament from publishing evidence about contacts between the two of them. Salmond is, of course, locked in a bitter dispute with Sturgeon after he was acquitted of sexual harassment charges. He is accusing her and close associates of working with other SNP and government officials to destroy his reputation. And if you're somewhat bewildered by this row and its implications and indeed its importance, uh, you're in good company. But we're going to address that tomorrow because on a special Bloomberg Westminster, we're going to look into the uh, issue that is really dominating Scottish politics at the moment. But one other story, the BBC is reporting the government is setting up a new cabinet committee focused wholly on keeping the UK as a union of nations together. Michael Gove will be involved along with the chief Brexit negotiator, David Frost, and the Secretary of State for Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. With the pandemic and Brexit exposing the cracks in the Union, the future of it is one of the major challenges confronting the Prime Minister. 
All right, that's all the news in the world of politics. Let's get into the rest of our conversations uh, this uh, hour. The government's successful vaccine rollout has increasingly won over the British public, especially among the older population. More than three quarters of people are at least somewhat satisfied with the government's jab progress. That is according to the Cantar Monthly Study of Britain, the British barometer. When it comes to schools, the majority of people are back pupils return to classrooms even at the expense of easing other lockdown measures and over 60% think that the school summer term should be extended by one or two weeks to allow students to catch up on teaching. Joining us now is Dr Michelle Harrison, Global CEO of Kantar Public, to delve into the details of Kantar's work about what Britain's attitudes are now to government. I mean, perhaps no surprise, Michelle, that we're all feeling uh, much more rosy, I suppose, about about the government because um, the rollout of the vaccine has worked fairly well. Absolutely. Um, And I think even though just in the last four weeks we've seen a significant uplift in in the public mood around this. So as you said, um, we've got 76% of of people we're polling saying they're satisfied with with the rollout. The other thing that's changed is got really high figures now of people who are saying they've already had the vaccine or they will have the vaccine. Uh, 77% saying they intend to have it. That was 65% back in December. So this is changing really fast. I mean, there's no doubt about it that it, it's being viewed as a, as, a, as a real strong success. And if you look at the over 65, the numbers are, are really high. 94% of people over 65 saying that they're very satisfied with the way the vaccine's been rolled out. So Big, big change, um, really, compared to, to compared to where we were and, and, and then affecting the way the government's being seen overall. Yeah, and I mean, the vaccine passports has been a big issue. The, Boris Johnson clearly agonising a little bit about it. Perhaps doesn't fit into a normally conservative way of doing things, you might think. But, but you're finding there's quite a bit of support for the idea. There is. But with anything to do with the vaccine, there's quite a split between age. So the older you are, the more likely... Basically, we see in the data you are to be supportive of these kinds of measures. 63% support for a vaccine passport. It drops to below 50% when you get into the, into younger people, people aged between 30 and 50. Not just the uh, passport, though. We've got 65% of people supporting quarantine, um, you know, border control uh, for red list countries as well. And again, that same kind of issue about older people being a lot more supportive of that. Yeah, but they're, they're pretty high figures. Mm, yeah, no, I think that's fascinating. But then also, I think your figures, as you sort of hinted at, do point to this um, this split, this kind of perhaps, dare I say, polarisation in the UK around the vaccine um, and in particular the return to schools. I thought this was notable that, OK, the majority of people want the school term to be extended. They want their children to go back to school. But one in three people think that it's actually not safe for teachers um, and pupils to go back. So there's, you know, there's quite a large group of people who don't agree with that con- sort of consensus. That's true. But I think I, w- I wouldn't use the phrase polarisation because particularly mm-hmm. when we look at, at vaccine, we see something different, actually. We see numbers of very significant majorities all agreeing. And that... That is quite an unusual thing for, for British uh, polling. And so with vaccines, I think we see this, this degree of consensus. Back to school, look, we've got 61% agreeing that school should, opening schools should be prioritised um, 
you know, over even having to necessarily extend lockdown. Even then, we've got the majority of people saying, even if it meant extending lockdown, we should get kids back to school. I mean, I, mm. you know, someone like me, I'm counting the days, you know, as, as many of us parents are. But yes, there are a third who feel that it's not necessarily safe. You can sometimes see contradictions um, in polling in terms of the way that people look at these things because separately we ask people who they think should be prioritised for um, for vaccination in terms of specific groups of the population. And what we see there is that people are putting uh, emergency service staff and people who work in shops or supermarkets ahead of teachers in terms mm-hmm. of their priority. So, yes, I mean, I think... You can see that that third, but even so, you've got you've got a clear majority thinking this is the right way for the government to go. What about the economic impact of this, which I suppose is in part related to going back to school because it's harder for people to get to work, perhaps, even if the jobs were there. I mean, you've done a bit of research on the impact on household budgets and how people are thinking about that. Take us through that. So things have improved since last month, but while talking about the story of improvement, we've got to remember that for many people this this will still feel uh, pretty dire. So what we've got at the moment is 35% of people saying that COVID's had an, an impact on their on their personal income. I mean, 35% is a third, third of people. It's enormous, but it is reducing. So it was up at 42% last month. So perhaps we're starting um, to see the turn there. And of course, the employment figures have, have suggested that might just be starting to turn. The other things where we're seeing things beginning to improve. Um, we've got you know, a quarter of people saying that it's been harder this month to meet their household budget than it was a year ago. But again, that's quite a drop from last month. And we've also got fewer people reporting that they feel job insecure. So it's still quite high. It's still a 30%, but that's compared to 38% last month. And it's the lowest figure that we've seen since the COVID crisis began in March 2020. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, 4 million people in the UK still being supported by furlough uh, right now. So, you know, no doubt they'll also be looking to the chancellor next week in the budget to see what more help they they may get. Um, In terms of that, you've also got a little bit of data about kind of voting intentions and where that leaves the government and and the opposition. I mean, in recent weeks, we've talked a lot about um, there's still quite a lot of consensus um, on the Labour Party side about what the government is doing. They're in kind of a a difficult spot in terms of being critical. How are voters seeing all of this? How does it shake out? Yeah. And I think, you know, you're completely right in terms of we've got with the, with the budget coming up, we've got a lot of people saying it's affected their income, but we haven't yet seen what that's going to be like once the support is uh, is weakened. Um, <clears throat> what we've got in terms of voting intention, Tories are ahead in the polls. Uh, there are actually no change for them since, since last month. They're polling at 40%, but you've got uh, Labour declining by four points to 33. So that's the shift there. The smaller parties each taking a, a point each. But what we've also seen is this improvement. So whilst the Tory figures have stayed, have stayed level overall in terms of voting intention, we've actually got really high figures of support for the way things have been done. You know, uh, very high levels for support with the way that government is overall dealing with COVID now. And 54% of people thinking that the government is doing a good job on communicating. Now, that doesn't sound like a very high figure, but it's the highest since May of 2020. So that, again, 
is these underlying positive mm. uh, positive feelings, which you know likely come from genuine success of the way of uh, the effectiveness of this vaccine rollout. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.